This morning's scripture reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwellings among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our world is a world full of stereotypes and contrasts. Have you noticed that? Sometimes contrasts are a good thing. Sometimes stereotypes are actually true. But most of the time, they have embedded problems, contrasts, and stereotypes. It starts early, doesn't it? Very early when you're in elementary school, and it grows really fast. You start distinguishing yourself and finding your identity in certain things. That one's short, that one's tall. She's skinny, she's fat. Or that one's pretty, and this one's ugly. We get a little more sophisticated over time. We're not quite so blatant as we were when we were in third grade. But still we carry it with us, right? We treat people based on whether or not they're rich or poor. Sometimes we're just kind of honest and we say, that guy's smart and that one's dumb. On other occasions, remember being in high school? Those guys are jocks and those people over there are the musicians. Remember that contrast? As if you couldn't be both. Or that group's the preppy crowd, this group's the redneck crowd. You know, I can already see discomfort on some of your faces. (laughs) It is uncomfortable, isn't it? And we do it all the time. We do it all the time. But there are other ways of making contrasts that are not necessarily, well, not quite as offensive, but they may be just as problematic. For instance, um, nowadays, if you are a person who is bold enough to name morality and immorality... You are assumed to also be a person who's mean-spirited. 
Am I right? It's a category. Those people who have hard lines of morality, they're mean-spirited. There's another group of people who don't have hard lines on morality, and that means that they're people of grace. We even do it in the church. Sometimes we identify certain people as people who speak the truth. Or, I go to a church that speaks the truth. Or, I hang out with people who speak the truth boldly. And then we contrast that with this one over here, who, well, they're just full of grace and they're forgiving. Implying that they don't speak the truth. They just forgive. You can see the problem, right? You know the problem because you've been in it. So what about the problem? Here's something that's interesting. When John introduced Jesus to the world through his gospel, called the Gospel of John, he began by saying, the Word became flesh. Right? The very Word of God that was with God and the very Word of God that was God became flesh and walked among us and we saw God. And he made some really concise and profound theological statements. But you know what he did by the time he got down to verse 14? You heard it. It's as though in verse 14, he says, I want to summarize everything I just said. I want to tell you who Jesus really was. And here's what he said. He says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He didn't contrast them. He didn't say, here's grace and here's truth. He said the perfect synthesis, divine synthesis of grace and truth was evident in Jesus Christ. You might say to yourself, well, how did the gospel play that out? This one, John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. How do we see that grace and truth revealed in Jesus Christ? Well, probably the best way to see it is to see it through encounters, don't you think? Encounters that Jesus had with real people. On one particular occasion, he had an encounter with um, a woman. During one of his teaching episodes, Jesus was famous for these teaching episodes. People would gather around him and he would start to teach concerning the law of God and what God was like and what God's expectations were and what the kingdom of God was like. And on one of those occasions, get, get, get this, think about this. On one of those occasions, as he's teaching the crowd, he's standing there and people are all around. Behind him, there's a rumble. And the rumble is... The teachers of the law, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they've got a woman by the scruff of the neck, so to speak. And they throw her in front of Jesus and his feet and they say, here's a woman. This woman was caught in adultery. You know what the law says? It says such a woman ought to be stoned. So what do you say, Jesus? The text says, as usual. That's my phrase, as usual. They were trying to test him or trap him. What do you say, Jesus? You know what Jesus did? Jesus answered the question by stooping down. He stooped down on his knees and he started to write in the sand. And while he's down there writing in the sand, 
The Sadducees and Pharisees continue the debate and continue prodding him. What do you say, Jesus? What's supposed to happen here? She's caught in adultery. And Jesus just looks up at them. And he says to them, Whichever one of you is without sin, I've got an invitation for you. Pick up a stone. And after he did that, he just knelt back down and started writing in the sand again. And while he wrote in the sand, I guarantee you, he saw sandals disappear. Because her accusers, one at a time, began to walk away. The next time he came up from the sand, he came up from the sand and he spoke to the woman. And he said to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? And she said to him, Lord, they've left. And then Jesus looked at her and she, he said to her, he said, woman, your accusers are not here to condemn you. I've got a message for you. I'm not here to condemn you either. Go and sin no more. I love what one person said about the writing in the sand. We have no idea what Jesus wrote in the sand, okay? But this is divine imagination, and I love it. And I'm sticking with it. This one author said, I think what he did is he started writing down sins. Adultery. Theft. Covetousness. Greed. Dishonesty. Anger. And they drew a great big line right beside that group of words and created a column. And on the other side, he started writing names. Maybe the names of the accusers. And in silence, you know what he was saying? You connect the dots. And he stood and said, You want to throw a stone? You know what else is interesting about that story? Jesus didn't come up off his knees from writing in the sand and say to her, Woman, I don't condemn you. Sin will never be judged. He didn't say that. He didn't say to her, Woman, I don't condemn you because I know you're not a sinner. He didn't say that. He said by implication, sin will be judged. And he said by implication, you are a sinner. You know how he said it? He looked at her and he said, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to give you grace. Now go and don't sin anymore. Implication, you are a sinner. Maybe implication, you were guilty, guilty of adultery. But I'm giving you grace. So Jesus encounters a woman who's accused of adultery, and we say grace and truth. Another time Jesus was walking, and he walked a lot. He was walking with a group of people, and um, there was a very short man. You know, you would have called him shorty in third grade and given him other words. Yeah, he's a short little guy. His name was Zacchaeus. 
And he wanted to see Jesus. He'd heard about him. So Zacchaeus decided, remember that story? He'd climb up into the sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. Did anybody grow up in Sunday school singing that song? Did, oh, good. So sing it with me. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord. He, you know, there we go. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. What's the rest of it? From going to your house today. That is it. But you know, I heard another version of it. It said, for I'm going to your house for tea. The English wrote that one. Yeah, so that was the English version. The point is, Jesus looked up into the tree and spoke to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was up in the tree. He didn't speak to Jesus. He just wanted to get a look. Jesus knew what was going on. And he looked up into the tree and he said, Come on down, Zacchaeus, because I'm going to your house. Scandalous. Oh, it doesn't seem like it because the song seemed so pleasant, but it was scandalous. Why? Because Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. It means he brings in more money than anybody else in the town, maybe in the whole region of Galilee. And he's a traitor. He bleeds the economy of Israel dry by sucking money out of their economy through Roman taxes. The hated Roman Empire. And everybody in the crowd knows who he is. And furthermore, everybody suspects, and probably true, that like every tax collector, he keeps a little for himself. Charges more than necessary and makes a living. And Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Let's have dinner. The story continues, of course. He goes to the house. Wouldn't you like to know what happened in the house? I mean, what Jesus said. We're not given hardly any details about what Jesus said at the house. What Zacchaeus might have asked. We just know that he's eating with a tax collector, which you're not supposed to do. And then as he's eating with a tax collector, maybe down near the end, maybe halfway through, Zacchaeus says to Jesus, Lord, I want to tell you something. Today, I'm changing my life. Today, I'm going to be giving 50% of my income to the poor. I'm splitting my check right in half. I'm splitting my bank account right in half. And I'm giving half of it away and I'm going to live on only half of what I earned. And furthermore, Lord, I'm going to uh, pay back anybody I've defrauded. Implication, I probably get a little bit on the side. I'm paying that back too. You know what Jesus' response is? He says to Zacchaeus, Today, my friend, salvation has come to your house. At least two things going on there. Today, Zacchaeus, salvation entered your house. He might have said, Today, Zacchaeus, the way, the truth, and the life walk through the threshold of your house. Zacchaeus, I am salvation. That's why salvation entered your house. But he was also probably saying, Zacchaeus, salvation entered your house today. 
because you were utterly honest with me about who you are. You didn't hold back. You admitted who you are, that you're a sinner and you're in need of redemption and forgiveness. And thus salvation has come to your house. First encounter was with a lawbreaker. Second encounter we noticed was with a traitor, Zacchaeus. Third encounter I want to remind you of was with an outsider. It was the Samaritan woman. You know that story. Jesus and his disciples were passing through Samaria and they stopped at a well and the disciples went on into town and Jesus stayed there by the well and a woman showed up to get water and it got really awkward. That's just awkward. Even now. But it was worse back then. Because women weren't supposed to be seen with men unless it was their husband. And certainly not with a man who was a stranger. And she walked up to get water and she didn't leave she just went over to the well but the rest of the encounter was epic because Jesus looked at her and said woman will you give me a drink and she nearly dropped her teeth she said what can you say again will you give me a drink give you a drink I'm a Jew you're a Samaritan we know each other we got this profiling thing down You know your role, your identity, I know mine. And you know as well as I do that Samaritans and Jews don't associate with one another and Jews would never drink from the cup of a Samaritan. What's up, man? Why are you asking me this? Jesus said to her, woman, if you had any idea who it was asking, it would blow your mind. What I want to tell you is this, the person who's asking you for a drink is the one who can give you eternal water that never goes away. And she says, oh, now that would be a bomb. If I could get water that would never drain up, I'll be there every day. And he said, no, you still don't get it. What I mean is, I give you eternal life kind of water. And then the conversation's going along and the woman must be impressed. She calls him a prophet. She talks to him. She's rather inquisitive. She's even kind of argumentative. And then finally he says to her, "Uh, woman, go get your husband. Now, is that condescending or what? You know, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Go get your husband. Um, It wouldn't have been back then. It is today. I would never say that. But Jesus knew the culture. And he said, go get your husband. And she said to herself under her breath, oh, drat. Everything was going so well. And now he starts asking questions. Well, what am I going to do but be honest? So I'll tell him. Sir, I don't have a husband. And Jesus just looked at her and he said, I know that. Matter of fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're with, number six, is not your husband. Okay, conversation's over at this point. She is through with it, I'm thinking. You know what Jesus basically says? He says this, My dear woman, I can see right through you. I know you inside and out. And I also know something else about you. You're seeking desperately to find life. 
You've been looking for it everywhere. Maybe his implication is five husbands, a sixth now that's not your husband. Wherever you're searching, it's the wrong place. Right here is the right place. I'm the water of life. I see you. I see your sin. I love you. And I'm extending grace. That woman is blown away. She can't believe what just happened. She explodes basically and runs back to her town and says, you've got to come see this man that I ran into. This man knows everything about me and I didn't even tell him. He just knows everything about me. This must be the Messiah. Come back and see. And they come back and see and they believe. And Jesus stays with them for several days teaching them concerning the kingdom of God, the water of life, grace and truth. There's... Another encounter, just allow me one more story to end with that Jesus has. You might call it his last encounter. He was on the cross. And while bleeding and dying, there were two people on either side of him called criminals. One text says they were thieves, or at least one of them was. Maybe the other a murderer. All we know is they were condemned by the government to die by crucifixion on the cross. And one of those thieves was really upset about it. Wouldn't you be? Yeah. And he said, this is bum. I, 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 I'm, I shouldn't be up here. Why can't you get us off this cross, Jesus? I hear all these stories about you. I hear all these things you say about yourself. If you're really the Son of God, pull a fast one for us. Get us off of this cross and have the Father come down and rescue us. And basically, he curses Jesus for not doing what he wants him to do. And the other thief on the cross says, Man, are you out of your mind? Do you not fear God at all? What are you talking about? You know as well as I do that we're guilty. We're up here for a reason, and he's not. He's suffering innocently. He's dying innocently. Fear God. Have a better attitude than that. And then that thief, that criminal, turns to Jesus. And he says, Lord, when you go into your kingdom, will you just remember me? Lord, I've already told you who I am. I'm not pretending. I'm up here and I deserve it. I'm a sinner. I need a rescue. And I get it. Only you can do it. And Jesus says, my friend, today you're going to be with me in paradise. You know what? That's a demonstration, four stories of grace and truth. The perfect divine synthesis of those two things. At ECC, um, we actually have a statement for those of you who are bulletin readers. It's on the front of your bulletin. It says that our mission is to be a church that's reflecting the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ in a college town. Just acknowledges where we are. But the more important part is the first part, reflecting the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ. You know what I'd like to say? I'd like to say that when we got together for two years and studied how we should best articulate our mission, that we found John chapter 1, verse 14, and we said, ah, oh, there's our proof first. We're going to use that. We didn't. But I will say this. 
as we thought about what it meant to be a follower of Christ, we couldn't think of two better phrases to put together than redeeming grace and transforming truth. Because that's the gospel. You know, I know nobody's perfect. I want to say that up front. But I want to also ask you a question. Have you ever seen somebody who's just full of grace and truth? Just present in the same person? I have. He wasn't perfect. Uh, But his birthday was yesterday. And four and a half years ago, he died. He was my father. I count myself to be among a privileged group of people who had a father that knew what it meant to be a Christ follower and to be full of grace and truth. You may say I'm prejudiced. Yeah, so I am. But I'm also pretty honest, if you know me. My dad had a way of sitting you down and telling you the truth, the hard truth, in no uncertain terms. And when he was finished, you felt overwhelmed by grace. I don't know how he did it. I don't think I ever did it that way with my kids. Not as well as he did. Somehow, at least in that aspect of his life, he embodied Jesus. I'll never forget um, a young man telling me a story about my dad after he passed away. He said he was at a youth conference. And uh, he and a bunch of other tough guys... Uh, lined up at the back of the church. And my dad got up to speak. And he said we did what we always did, which was dig in our heels and say, convince us. Tell us what we haven't heard before. And he said, um, your dad got up. And he just started talking about the love of God. He said when um, he was finished talking about the love of God, um, we were like a puddle in the back um, because it really touched our hearts. And um, changed some of us forever. And the guy who was telling me this story uh, is a chaplain in a prison. And every day of his life, he does his best to spread grace and truth. That was my dad. That's who he was. Somehow he he got it. And he lived it. Um, I guess what I want to say is, that's what we're supposed to be. If we've experienced the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, 
Our entire lives should reflect His redeeming grace and His transforming truth. Everyone we encounter should experience grace and truth. Every place we are, the aroma of grace and truth ought to be there. It doesn't mean that we cut the corner. It doesn't mean that we don't name sin, sin, when it's sin. But it means, among other things, that we live the message. We don't just talk, we live. It says, among other things, that in living the message, we find opportunity to tell our story. And we tell our story. You know what our story is? I didn't deserve grace. And I got it. And it came to me because I found space with grace to hear the truth. And it changed my life. And I wish you'd follow the same Lord who gave me grace and truth. It's telling the story to others. That's reflecting grace and truth. And it's not pretending. Not pretending. Like we got it all together or we have all the answers. It's an honest assessment of who we are and that we continue to seek the truth in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what? That message turned the world upside down. The world's never been the same. And that message, when communicated properly, will continue to turn the world upside down. And it'll never be the same. And that message is our message. That is our mission. You don't feel up to it? Yes, you are. If you're redeemed, you're up to it. Let's be that message to the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your message of grace, which comes to us, especially through Jesus Christ. We thank you that... Um, you entered our world, a world that was desperate then and a world that's desperate now for a message of grace and truth. And you gave us a pattern to live by and words to speak and ideas to embrace and faith that transforms so that we too can communicate that message that the world is desperately looking for, the message of grace and truth. We pray, Lord, you will help us to be as a church that kind of people. So that tomorrow on Monday when we enter the classroom, grace and truth will be there because we follow you. And that when we enter our workplace, the unmistakable aroma of grace and truth will be with us. And that we, with our families, demonstrate the grace and truth you've demonstrated to us and when we drive down the street in Bloomington we demonstrate the grace and truth that you've given us we don't have to be flashy Lord we don't have to have all the right words we don't have to even know how to be articulate in sharing our faith we just need to be those who follow you by faith and to share our story and in sharing our story, reflect that redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ. And finally, Lord, we just give you the 
to thanks for giving us the opportunity. Giving us the opportunity to receive it and then giving us the mission to give it and to share it. So we pray your grace and truth will be with us as we give it to the world and the world will be transformed by you. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.